The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. Hey, Dr. Bill here with, what is it, week three of um, isolation. It, it's so weird that days just blend together and um, I, what a new weird world we're living in. Um, I have great news. Leap is definitely happening. Uh, we are changing the dates. We were originally going to be July 19th through the 25th, we're actually going to do a virtual LEAP program. It will start July 20th on Monday and go through till Friday the 25th. We'll have about four hours of content a day. We have amazing speakers lined up. Um, I can't tell you some of them because they're still a surprise, but I will tell you Paula Abdul, definitely. Um, Jonathan Bennett, Definitely. Dennis Quaid, a newcomer, definitely. Christian Slater, maybe. Uh, let's say definitely. And then we have some really cool celebrities from the UK. I mean, we're going to bring in people we've never been able to bring in before. What is LEAP? LEAP is a motivational leadership program for students age 15 to 25 that teaches them the skills they need to be successful in life. And like me, a lot of successful people have been successful because of great mentors that they've had in their life. So in my personal life, in my business life, I meet great people that I think would be great mentors for students who come to LEAP, and they are gracious enough to spend time with me and do this podcast. So I'll introduce you to our guest today, but I will tell you, I'm shocked my podcast is exploding. Uh, we are in the top 100 in almost 50 countries worldwide. We're like number one in Poland, number two in Iceland and Finland. Like, I don't even know. And we're in the top 90 out of 47,000 in the U.S. And we've interviewed great people like Anthony Hopkins and Mark Wahlberg and Paula Abdul and Kathy Bates, and I mean, on and on and on and on. And today we are going to add another great person. You probably won't know her by name, but you will know her by you know what she does because her brands have exploded and they're beautiful. Um, so without further ado, let me introduce you to Leslie Gifford. This is a little bit of a long intro, but bear with me because she's done a lot and I want you to really understand her so that when we get on here, this will all make sense. Leslie Gifford is president and creative director of 360 Sweater and has been in the sweater business for more than 20 years. As president and creative director of 360 Cashmere and Naked Cashmere, Leslie runs a family business with her husband, Bruce, their daughter, Alexandra, who manages the New York showroom, and son, Andrew, who's the CMO and runs all their digital and marketing teams. Together, as a family, it's been a dream come true for Leslie to work. She founded 360 Sweater back in 2009 with just seven employees as a retail contemporary knitwear brand. Today, 360 Sweater is celebrating their 10-year anniversary and is comprised of two multi-million dollar retail brands. 
360 cashmere and Skull cashmere, along with, their, with its newer direct-to-consumer knitwear brand called Naked Cashmere. Since its inception, Naked Cashmere, the brand, has more than doubled its profits year after year. Along with running a successful business, Leslie is also heavily involved in giving back to many philanthropic groups and nonprofit organizations. To date, Naked Cashmere has donated in excess of $200,000 in charitable donations. Leslie has single-handedly created a company culture rooted in the concept of family, collaboration, inclusion, and philanthropy. With Leslie's incredible leadership, 360 degree sweater continues to be a tight knit, ha 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 pun, family <laughs> with a total of 40 employees comprised mainly of women, 96%, and four extremely supportive men. She's notorious for going the extra mile at eat for each and every one of her employees. Uh, employee loyalty is so strong that the majority of Leslie's original staff members still remain happily working at 360 Sweater, now only with larger titles. So without further ado, I introduce you to my friend, Leslie Gifford. Hey, Leslie. Hey, how are you today? Thank you for having me on your show. How are you? I'm doing good. It's It's been challenging, as it's been challenging for everyone. And, um, you know, I first want to say it's a challenge, but it's also that we're all dealing differently with the challenges that we have. And I just want to open with saying that I know we're all not going through this in the same way. And I think we'll talk about this a little bit because you and both, both and I, I think the way we really connected was with um, our philanthropy, our work ethics, and, you know, just the kindness that we both have developed a friendship. And from that friendship developed this podcast today. So I'm really excited to talk about a lot of things with you. Yeah, I am too. And, you know, I'm going to toot your horn for a second, but, you know, when we first met, we met my dental office, and, you know, one of the first things I told you is that I have a daughter who's interested in fashion, and she happens to be a big fan of, you know, your your company, and without me asking, you're like, bring her over. I'm like, really? Like, I mean, I was going to, but you're like, yeah, bring her over, and you literally took an hour out of your busy day. You sat down with me and Georgie Girl, who's still in college, and that just meant the world to me. And you know, like like you, I believe that our future is is in the youth of today, and the fact that you know people take time out of their day to foster youth it is so important. And, you know, when I walk into your company, I see the love, I see the culture, I see the dogs, you know, I, it's, it, you know, it, it's like home and, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't fake that, you know, that is. So let's, let's really dive into this and, you know, talk about the things that have made your career successful because the whole goal of this is this. When I started practicing dentistry, I was 26 years old. I came to Beverly Hills. The last thing they needed was another cosmetic dentist, right? 
what I do? Excellent. I called the five most successful dentists I could find, called them up, said, look, I'm fresh out of school. I know nothing. Can I come shadow you? And I learned from the best. Copying genius is what it's about. And you have become incredibly successful in a profession that is not that easy to succeed in. There are way, way, way more failures. And the fact that you've been at this for 20 years is a testament to your grit, your ingenuity, your creativity, and your spirit for building a great team. So that's what I want to talk about today. So let's start from the get-go. Thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction. I appreciate it. But all true. Yes, it is true. And, you know, those are things, as we get older, um, it becomes so much more important internally running a business to recognize that these people who are coming to work every day, well, they're working from home now, but they're coming to work every single day and they're spending more time in, in their workplace than they do really at home. So I have always felt that I need to, A, recognize all the hidden talents in my company. And that's something really, really important. And running a successful company isn't about me. It's about those around me. Because without those people, I would not be able to do what I do. And when I, you know, tell them without you, I couldn't do this project or without you, we wouldn't be so successful. It just, you know, the energy is just so incredibly large. Um, It's true. I mean, like they say, there's no I in team, right? So let's take it back to the very beginning. You know, 20 years ago, how did all this start? Well, I actually was one, I I feel one of the lucky ones who, when I was five years old, I come from a a family who my dad was in the footwear business. So I come from an apparel family and I knew what I wanted to do when I was five years old. Not many people know that. Was I going to be able, yeah, was I able to, was I going to be able to succeed at it? That was questionable but I was going to do everything possible to do it. So when I was five years old, I used to go to my dad's factory, which was on Barrick Street. And my dad had the largest uh, slipper business in the United States. So he had three floors, he had sewers, and I have two sisters. And that really didn't interest them as much as it interested me. I knew that I loved to get dressed up. And I knew if I went to my office, the office with my dad, on Saturday that we were going to Bonwit Teller and Macy's and I was going to get a new outfit. And that was like, that was it for me. I was like so excited. Uh, so having that passion and knowing what I wanted to do, I, as you said, I always looked for ways to look at other people in fashion and try to emulate their style. Or I would try to read things on, on fashion. And then I guess fast forward, um, when I went to college, I went to Syracuse University, which had a remarkable um, program for retail and manufacturing, wholesale. Uh, it was called the College of Human Development. And I entered that and 
it was just, it was amazing. I learned so much. Um, from that point, I decided I wanted to go into uh, this business, but I knew I had to start like rock bottom. And rock bottom was, um, actually it was a nice rock bottom. It was being accepted and there were only 11 people in the country during 19, I forget what year I graduated, that were um, accepted to this program. And an interesting thing is, is that my dad, who was my mentor and really helped me so much, uh, gave me a lot of uh, uh, positivity, a lot of strength, a lot of courage. But he also said, you know what, you're on your own. You're on your own on this one. And I want you to go there and show them who you are and interview for this and do your best because I know you have it in you. And I really thought about that. And I'm kind of thinking, well, it would be kind of nice if you made a phone call for me. He said, look, I will do that if you're not offered the job. We'll find something else. But you need to do this for yourself. And he was right. So that's really how I started my career at Saks Fifth Avenue. Uh, fast forward, I worked there. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So you started at Saks in New York. No, I started in there. It was called the Executive Training Program. And it was only 11 people uh, picked a year to go on this program. And and what did you do exactly? So I at first was a little intimidated because on my program were the Ferragamo brothers and the daughter of the president of Neiman Marcus and, you know, a few other people whose family business led them into being accepted to this. Um, But it was so fantastic because it gave me a lot of the do's and don'ts of what to do when you're going into the work world. It gave me a lot of uh, opportunities to see things. I would go from department to department working with the buyers in each individual department, learning what they do. And really, you know, as you said, you follow dentists and so forth. I was in showrooms of Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, all Yves Saint Laurent. I met the most incredible people. This was an exciting opportunity for me. And after I finished the program, um, I became a buyer of small leather goods. And uh, it may not seem exciting, handbags and, and leather goods, but we were the first to bring in Gucci into the United States. That was very exciting. And um, I also uh, worked with Louis Vuitton. And I got a lot of great experience from a lot of great people. But I also had a lot of disappointment along the way. And what does that do to you when you have disappointment? It kind of, if I was talking to myself now, you'd say, okay, hang in there. This is a learning thing. You need to know what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And that, I think, was the one thing that really prepared me to being the kind of boss and employer that I am today. All the things that I didn't like what I saw that was going on in a big corporation, I did not want to extend into the way that I started my companies when I did start them. And I guess from there, I went and I worked for a company called Le Sportsac, which was back in the day, one of the biggest, it was a um, 
a luggage company. It was a family-owned business. I was I was the first non-family member to join their business as an executive. And that really was exciting because I got to see the other side. And what I'm talking about, the other side, there's a big difference in working in a retail environment and working on a wholesale environment. Right. And my experience from my my retail environment so prepared me how to deal on the wholesale department, how to deal with buyers. And that was the best thing I ever learned. And, and, you know, those things are so valuable. You know, I love that you said it taught you what to do and what not to do. It's funny because when I went in and shadowed these dentists, a lot of students will come into my office to shadow me and they just watch me do dentistry. You've right. seen it yes. in my office, you know, and I always ask my patients, you know, but there are very few that do what I did. And what I did is I didn't just go and watch the dentistry. I wanted to see what happens when the patient comes in. How do they greet the patient? What are the forms they have them fill out? How do they bring them into the treatment room? How do they seat them in the room? How do they do a consultation? You know, and how do they explain what the fees are for the treatment and then do the treatment and then dismiss the patient and then collect? Like, I wanted the whole ball of wax. And it sounds like you got that too. And that's really critical. And there's so many young people today that are like, I want to start a business. I'm like, okay, uh, do you know how to do payroll? What? what? Like payroll. (laughs) Like, you know, you got to pay. No. Well, you need to know how to do that or you hire a payroll company, you know? I mean, do you know anything about employment law? Well, no. Well, you need to know that. Like, you can't just say, I want to start a business, right? You cannot say that. And I also say, you know, yes, I've been in this business for 20 years and I'm proud to say I've had the really highs and the really lows. I've had extreme success. And I have had failure, but failure, and this is one of my favorite, favorite quotes, failure is a condiment that gives success its flavor. And in no matter what, yeah, it's a great, great quote. And I've used it so many times, um, helping people in the industry. And yes, You know, I am very much like you, and I think that's why you and I connected so much is because we take it to another level. We see these young kids who who want to come in and mentor, want to come in and learn, and that's the only way for you to achieve success is, you know, is preparation, and then you get an opportunity to for instance, to come in and shadow, you know, one of the greatest dentists, learn, listen, and then it gives you the ability that when you get that opportunity, that you're prepared for it because you've done your preparation. It just doesn't happen because you dress well, that you right. can be a fashion. You're a thousand percent right. I, I, I shadowed some pretty incredible dentists. The one who really stood out was Stanley Vogel. We, we lost him a few years ago. He was, you know, he lived to a very, very ripe old age. Stanley was considered 
Hollywood's cosmetic dentist. Stanley's dentistry was great. I mean, there are a lot of guys up at his level, but where he excelled was in his whole presentation, the way he spoke to patients, the way he made them feel comfortable, the way he was able to communicate. And, you know, and, and when a patient came in and they explained how they wanted, cause look, cosmetic dentistry is typically optional, you know, how he was able to not only listen to them, but deliver and, and do that. And, you know, that to me was the most valuable thing I learned from him. And had I not been in that environment with him, I couldn't have done it. Just like had you not worked in both arenas, you wouldn't be able to be as successful as you are in your business now. So you had all this experience. And then at a certain point, you decided like, okay, it's time for me to do my thing, right? I'm ready. I'm ready. I picked up. This is actually uh, my husband, my husband, Bruce. When was this when you actually started your company? Uh, 1987 was the first year that we picked up everything that we owned. My husband was in a, a, a family business, a very, very successful family business that sold to a big menswear company and um, he decided that he wanted to do something on his own and not live in his father's, you know, footsteps. Oh, you know, that's Al Gifford's son. So we picked up everything and, and here's another thing, risks. We all need to take them. Without a risk, there is no reward. And sometimes a risk can be the most painful and craziest thing you could possibly think of doing in your life. But you got to believe and you're going to say, I'm going to do it. So we, we sold our condo in New York. I had an 18-month-old baby. I did not know one person in California. We had an opportunity to tag along onto someone else's successful business. And we just sold our house in Connecticut and said, we're out of here. I left everything and we just moved. That was a big risk. Okay. I did the same thing. And what was in the back of my mind was, what do I have to lose? They don't put you, you know, like, I'm like, I'm going to start my business. I'm going to do this. I, you know, and the worst thing that can happen is I go broke. Well, they don't put you in jail for being broke. No, right. So I figure what the heck. All right. So you, you come out here at bright-eyed and bushy-tail, what happened? So I came out here and was, of course, in a little shock moving from California, uh, moving from New York to California. With a baby and a husband. Yeah, it's, it's a big, and I actually brought my housekeeper with me who ended up being my only friend because it was very hard to meet people. I found, you know, being a new person here, not knowing anyone, moving to a town, Pacific Palisades, that was kind of like at that point, it was, you know, it was just very clicky. It wasn't New Yorkers who were like, hi, where are you from? What are you doing? You know, it, it wasn't the best um, way of, 
of coming into a new place. I didn't feel like, you know, when I call people and say, hi, I'm a friend of this one and that one, I would get rejection. And I would think, oh my God, you know, I haven't even met this person. Did I say, do I have bad phone? You know, so it was hard, but I said, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. So we opened a small business, um, which was um, really, it was a cruise wear kind of. And we made probably the most expensive t-shirts at that time in the world. And we sold to Saks Fifth Avenue and all the top stores. We had the right designs. We got our inspiration from traveling to France and Italy and seeing what they were doing over there. And we really wanted to run this company so I could still be a mom to my kids. So we kind of developed the company and said, okay, I don't want to work downtown. It's too far away from my kids. So we started to uh, look for places in Santa Monica. And we are still in the same in the same building across the street because that building's expanded that we've been in for 20 years. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, and then from that, there came a point where we got burnt out. And that was a very interesting part of my career. It was a very hard business for two people to run with probably, um, we had a 10 people, we had our warehouse right there. So we shipped from, you know, a different office. It was a big warehouse. I would take my new little girl, Alexandra, and I would be strolling the, the, her carriage around as I'm picking and pulling. And it was a real mom and pop business. This was a real mom and pop business. And, you know, at the time, I really felt like I kind of am done with this. I don't know if I want to continue. And my husband kind of felt the same way. And we both decided he wanted to go in one direction. Everybody's been telling me you should be an event planner. You're so good at all those types of things. And I would always help people with that. So I became an event planner and my business took off like crazy. And you know, it was very hard for my husband. You know, it's an interesting, we worked together. We didn't work so well as, as in our marriage, not working together. We were on two different platforms and it just, it didn't work for us. So we had the opportunity in 19, I think 80, no, 19, I guess about three or four years later. Um, we started a company called One Girl Who, which was a sweater company, and it became very large in four years, and uh, we ended up selling it. So that was a good thing. Now, let me ask you something. When you sell, when you sell a company like that, like when I sold Discus Dental, I had to sign a five-year non-compete. So did I you. could not do another whitening product for five years. Did they tie your hands like that as well? Okay. So not only did they tie our hands like that, this was a menswear business that bought us that wanted to um, have California contemporary in their um, portfolio. 
So they were going around and they chose us and um, we sold for, you know, a very nice amount of money. We didn't take was, was it Was it a menswear line at the time? Or no, it was, actually, it was Hart Schaffner and Marks, which is a very, very large um, company out of Chicago. No, but your line, was your line a menswear line? No, my line was a women's line. It was a women's sweater line. That was my first start into women's So why did they... Why did they buy you if they were menswear? Because they wanted to get California companies that were in the space that we were in to add to their portfolio. Got it. Okay. But here's the interesting part. They didn't really know how to handle, and it wasn't just us. They bought another company too, um, our business, men's business is so different than women's business and runs so differently. Um, they went, I guess, the year that Barack Obama got inducted into being the president. He was wearing a Hart Chapner and Mark suit. And the next day, the company went into complete bankruptcy. Well, we saw Bruce and I saw this coming, and so we took a vacation and we paid for it on our own to go to Hong Kong and kind of prepare what we thought was going to happen. And there comes my preparation. Think ahead. Um, and we can talk a little bit about thinking ahead in the environment that we're in now because Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So we we thought ahead, we designed a line. Um, and we said, you know, if we can get out of our non-competes, then we're going to start a new business. So, you know, my husband, who was dealing with all of that stuff, said, uh, um, called up and they forgot about us. They were so inundated with their business and the menswear. And they, and they said, okay, we don't want anything to do with women's wear anymore. And they kind of like, we fell off their, their radar. Yeah totally fell off their radar so much that, you know, the Xerox machines, the, this, the, that, everything. I said, well, do you want them back? And they said, no, we don't want anything back and you can do what you want. You're dismissed. That's okay. So it seems really easy saying that, but it was so bad. And that's when I'm saying a failure, even though I had that money in the bank, even though, you know, um, I was able to, figure out what I was going to do with my employees and how I was going to let them go. Cause I had to, they were part of that company. Right. Who was I going to keep to start this new company and how was with, I going to do that? And that became 360 sweater. That became 360 sweater. So again, prep, preparation, opportunity, luck. Okay. And without the preparation and without the opportunity, you don't, get the success. And so we started this company with maybe seven employees and we kind of acted like we never stopped. We're just going to start again. And like people just treated us like we were doing what we were doing before very successfully. So it was a really, uh, it was a, a, a good way to get into a new business without the hard work that it takes to build a new business. This is an interesting, you know, talking about uh, preparing yourself. So I wanted, this was, this was my dream. Okay. This was my ultimate dream to design sophisticated knitwear for everyone 
and that includes um, girls in their 20s, parents who want to buy their kids a cashmere sweater. Now, we all know cashmere is very expensive and unaffordable. I did not own a cashmere sweater. Not just girls in their 20s. You have menswear, you have you know, women's, and even my, my mother wears some of your stuff. Grandmas. Grandmas. Yes, they do. Okay. Uh, we do have a lot of men's, and our men's division has been great. So this was something that was just, oh, my God. It happened because, and I, I, I don't mean to use this, but I feel like I manifested this. This was something I always wanted to do. I had so much passion in doing it. And with the help of a fabulous art director that I met probably five years before we even started Naked Cashmere. Um, And it happened because I collect fashion photography. And I have an apartment in New York. And I decided um, that my main muse and the one that I always looked up to was Kate Moss. And I'm always, you know, so anyway, so I ended up buying a beautiful collection of her artwork that she collaborated with a, um, uh, with people in New York and they were all signed by her favorite, uh, photographers and every single piece that I have in my apartment tells a story of Kate Moss and this photographer and how the picture was going to, um, come to life because of the story told behind it. Um, And then a friend of mine that I've known since I was eight years old said to me, if you ever want to meet Kate Moss, you need to meet my friend, David Lippman. So I said, sure, I'll meet him. So he came to my apartment. I met him and it just, the timing wasn't right. We didn't have naked cashmere. Um, We had 360 sweater. Uh, he, you know, dealt with, he brought every single famous model to life. He worked with Kate. He worked with Naomi Campbell. He worked with Tom Cruise. He worked with actors, actresses, just, I could go on and on and on. His portfolio was huge. So I get, what happened was, um, Bruce, we actually went to Barney's, uh, because Barney's to sell 360 sweater. And Barney's gave us a flat out no. And we said, well, why? And they said, well, 360 Cashmere is oversaturated. We need a new brand. So we actually gave them Naked Cashmere and they turned it down. Bad move. So what we ended up doing is uh, it was right before my daughter got married. And all I wanted was two weeks off before my daughter got married to just plan everything and spend time with her. And I get a call from my husband in Hong Kong and he says, I have good news and I have bad news. So I said, well, tell me the bad news first. And he says, well, that two weeks that you wanted off before Alex's wedding, you can't have off. And I said, you must be kidding me. He goes, well, how about the good news? I said, all right, tell me the good news. He said, the good news is I've talked to David Lippman. We're going to open a direct-to-consumer which means wholesale pricing, luxury and quality, sweaters, pants, men's, homeware. And the first model who came to us, because we were working with Peter Lindbergh, who is one of the greatest fashion photographers in the world. So we got him on board because of 
David Lipman. And then all of a sudden, Kate Moss heard about it. And she actually said, I want to do this. I want to be the face, the opening face of Naked Cashmere. And why do I want to do it? Because it's a small family. I've been working for such large corporations. I want to work with Peter and I want to work with the family. And really, that's how Naked Cashmere started. Wow. And, you know, now I can smile. Yeah. You know, with any business, you've got your highs, you've got your lows. And I always say, if you don't have problems in your business, then you're not doing the right. You need problems. Problems sometimes make you think in other directions and lead you in other ways. Yeah, and that was like a real game changer for you guys. I mean, that's really when you started to explode, right? Yes. You know, we exploded in many ways. And it took, um, you know, as you know in your business, sometimes you get very fortunate that the right people are walking into your office and they know the next person. And then they're going to say, oh, my God, you know, this was such a great experience, dental experience. Uh, that they're going to refer you to other people. Well, this kind of, you know, having Kate Moss as our first muse for Naked Cashmere, well, then all of a sudden, all these top models are coming to us. Why didn't you use me? You know, are you kidding? That's amazing. It gave us worldwide recognition. And I guess from that point, you know, we decided that we were not going to do a catalog that you just get in the mail that someone's going to throw away. We were going to spend the money to make the most beautiful catalog in the world. And, and you, and you actually do. All right. We're running short on time. There's okay. two things we need to talk about. Totally. Number one, let's talk about what's going on right now, because as you said, preparation, preparation, preparation. And then what I want to really finish with is, What's next for you guys? So let's talk about right now, what's happening in your business right now and how were you prepared to deal with what we're dealing with? Well, I don't think anybody was prepared for any of this. And the restaurants, the uh, gyms, the, I mean, the list we all know goes on and on and on. But in our business, you know, we have two types of business. We have the direct to consumer and we have the retail business. Well, all the retail stores are closed. Big problem. Um, So I am not sure what's going to happen in the retail environment. Um, What scares me is these stores will open. They've been closed for three months. I don't project them to be opening probably until June, May or June. And now they're going to be sitting with old merchandise. Old merchandise has been tried on old merchandise that's been sitting stagnant in a store. Um, Okay, so that's a retail part of it. The wholesale part of it is that 360, and I'm only talking quickly about 360, um, we always have a lot of inventory to fill reorders, and we always have a place to, you know, get rid of excess inventory. We donate a lot to... um, homeless shelters, and we do big donations all across um, New York and LA mostly. Um, But our question was, what are we going to do with this inventory? And how are we going to continue? We have 
48 employees right now that I have not furloughed one employee and I have not let go one employee. That's part of my uh, wish that I, I will be able to continue to do. You know, this is my family. And I know you feel the same way because I've been a patient in your office and you treat everybody like family. I see it. And that's when, you know, let me give you a little accolade because, you know, going into a dentist's office for the first time always can be a a scary experience. So I'm going into a dentist's office who, you know, pretty much you're world renowned, you know everyone. Um, you've been extremely successful. I look at you as a mentor and all of a sudden I said, wow, he really knows what he's doing. And I didn't even feel like I was in the dentist's office. I felt like I felt so comfortable. I didn't feel that anything that was said to me, I didn't feel like I was being sold anything. It was a great experience. But back to your question to me. Um, so in our direct consumer, which is Naked Cashmere, um, we have great prices, their wholesale prices and luxury knitwear. And I have to tell you in this right now, in this environment, we're one of the fortunate ones who have work from home clothing. And in a time in spring, you know, we're doing cotton cashmere, which is 85% cotton, 15% cashmere. Well, we didn't, none of us, we worked so far in advance. Did I ever prepare that I'm going to need something like this at this time of year because we're all working from home? Never in a million years. So that really was something very fortunate that, Lucky, yeah. yeah, that we have that our business is growing and growing and growing. Um, you know, so that's, that's the, to me, the icing on the cake, but we can't forget about, you know, the people who are struggling through this and a lot of people are struggling. When will stores open? Will it ever be the same? What is the new normal now? How are we all going to uh, trust ourselves that it's okay to go out to a restaurant or to go to a gym or anything like that? I think it's, it's a very difficult time, but I think it's going to get even more difficult as things start to open. Yeah, it's it, it, there's just so many unknowns. I mean, this is the first time in the world's history that we have 10 million scientists all working to find a vaccine. You know, Correct. this is the first time in in our lifetimes and 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 in almost a century that we've had a pandemic like this, you know, I mean, there were so many things that we could have been better prepared for that we weren't. I, this is going to change everything. I, hospitals are going to be completely revamped so that there are, you know, wings that will be able to be shut off. So if God forbid you're in a car accident tomorrow, you're not going to go where COVID is. You're going right. to go. I mean, there's so, I mean, dentistry, my profession is the hardest hit of all. Think about this. Sure. You know, six foot rule is if you cough or sneeze. But when I put a drill in your mouth and create this aerosol, that virus is viable for three hours. I can't even use the room. I just spent $10,000 today and I bought high speed vacuums that go over your mouth 
that basically suck out all the aerosol so that when I'm drilling, none of that goes into the environment. It all goes through a machine with a HEPA filter. But who'd have thought we ever needed these things? Right. And yes, I so agree with you. We could have been so much more prepared. You know, I lived through SARS in Hong Kong, um, which was frightening. Um, and I know, you know, I used to laugh because you know how much I go. I go to Hong Kong two to three times a year. And every time, I mean, for the past 15 years, they take your temperature as you're entering across, you know, from yeah. the uh, yeah. security. You know what else? It, it really is upsetting. Like all these people are like, oh, this is you know, no worse than the flu. I mean, more people die of the flu every year. You know what? I've been practicing for 38 years. I have never had a single patient of mine die from the flu. Not right. one. Ever. Ever. I, I have now, you know, I just found out one of my old dental assistants lost her husband yesterday. You know, I know people that are dying from this. I don't know anybody that's died from the flu. You know, I know right. I had a friend that went into ICU yesterday. I don't know anybody. I mean, maybe it happens. I don't know it. So this is scary stuff. It's scary stuff. And, you know, when they say stay home, that means stay home. And, and for real, people don't realize, especially the younger generation, my daughter included, who has an 18-month-old baby who you know, think she has to get the proper milk for him or else he won't thrive. And I said, no, 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 no. These are the new rules. The new rules, if you have to go out, you go out once. You go out alone or you send your husband out. Um, you know, you can't take walks with your friends unless you're yeah. six no, feet apart. I get it. I, and listen, when I go, I go to the store every two weeks, I walk in my house I literally walk straight to the washroom. I strip naked. Everything goes in the washing machine. And then I go shower. You right. know, and my friends that are ER docs and doctors that are treating patients, they do the same thing right. as soon as they get in their house. All right. Last thing quickly. Yeah. What's next? What's next? Well, it's interesting. So I always think from desperation becomes inspiration. Important words. And I think in these desperate times, we've had so much, such an opportunity to do a lot of self-reflection and self-thought. So what's next for me? Okay. Well, I have, you know, my, which I'm going to have you on. I have an Instagram TV show that I started, cash, um, Coffee and Cashmere. I've had Demi Moore on it. I've had Dr. Barbara Sturm on it. I've had Natalie Morales on it. This weekend, I have Maria Sharapova on it. Hey, did I ever think I was going to be doing something like this? Never in a million years. And now I have people from CNN calling me, would you like to interview this person? Because it's a really, really, we're not talking about Demi Moore, the actress. We're talking about Demi Moore, the person. And she came on with her kids. That was great. So that's another thing. Then I'm looking at different avenues. Um, I have a, a husband who's an extreme risk taker. I'm not as riskier as he is. But, you know, in these times, you've just got to, um, you know, stand, uh, think positive, have a sense of gratitude every single day that you wake up, no matter what. Okay. And I know there are people a lot in a better situation in a lot worse situation. 
be kind, be considerate, you know, kindness goes a long way, all this stuff. So what I'm working on is feeding the doctors and the nurses in hospitals once a week, once in New York, once in LA. And then along the way, I'm trying to develop, how can I make my business better? What can I do? I'm in the right arena right now. I'm going to expand it. So that's where I'm at. And I have a lot of people coming to me asking me, you know, um, how did you do this? Well, wasn't easy, but with perseverance, challenge, nothing's easy. You can do it. And that's why your leap thing is so wonderful because you know what? If you fail, there's no doubt everybody's going to fail at some point. You never give up. You don't quit. And I'll end by saying don't quit means do it. My whole thing is I never fail because when I do something that doesn't come out the way I want it to, I don't call it failure. I call it practice. Yes. And you do it again and again and again. And then when you succeed, you're happy, but you haven't failed because you didn't give up. You only fail when you give up. That's right. So stop thinking of failure, call that practice, and you're, you're a 10. <laughs> oh, good. Well, thanks for having me on. This was great. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I look forward to your leap. I look forward to mentoring. It's one of my favorite things to do. Well, you're going to be, and it's going to be virtual this year, but you will be a mentor this year. So we're excited. That's okay. Well, thanks. All right, Dr. Bill, over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Leap Foundation, on Instagram at Leap Foundation, and on Twitter at Leap Los Angeles. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.